this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning, the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. So, this is our episode on food in a disaster. And that's really something you need to prepare for. Where, where your food sources are and everything else. So just for another review, four categories of emergencies as described by Jim. Number one, your zero to uh, 24 hours, right? That where you have to prepare for power out, power outage, anything like that, zero to 24. Then category two, 24 to 72 or 96 hours. That's what the government says that you need to be prepared for. Uh, that's FEMA. And then category three, Jim describes it, that's me, from uh, 72 or 96 hours up to 30 days, and then after 30 days, as category four. All these things have to be planned for. And remember, let's say someone has some health problems like diabetes or something like that, you're really gonna have to prepare for this. Now you're gonna think, well, just like with the water in an office setting, no, I really didn't go into that, food in an office setting or in a uh, work setting, all has to be planned out ahead of time. So let's say that you're in your house and there's a disaster. So this seems to be where we're going with all these. You have a power outage, 24 hours. Okay, most people have enough food in their house, uh, dried food, things of that nature, uh, canned food. Last 24 hours, you may not be eating what you really like. Now you may have those uh, beans, right? A can of beans, can of corn, uh, string beans, all that other stuff. And can't, right? Or dried food, like uh, I'm thinking like Raymond noodle soup, things of that nature. Okay, you could deal with that. Okay, one day, you're all right. Now, two or three days, okay, you get probably get that. Most people do not have, in my experience, more than two or three days. And let's forget about what's in the refrigerator if you don't have any power in that refri- refrigerator. What do you do? All right, the, some of the food will keep. I'm not going to make recommendations because I don't feel like getting sued because, hey, Jim Folsom told me to do X, Y, and Z. So you have to figure this out on your own, do the assessment, analyze it, and of course act in three A's. So let's look at this scenario. You went out and you said, well, I'm going to uh, get one of these survival kits that are widely available with survival food, good for 25 years. Now there's a disaster. You blow through your own cupboard, and I'm going to assume people only buy stuff that they like now you start to move into these disaster supplies. Let's say you have a picky eater in the house. You have children in the house that, like my daughter, who loves the mac. Now she's eight years old. Guess what? She's eating more than mac and cheese now. Thank God. Or and hot dogs. What do you do with uh, people who can't? Uh, uh, no, you buy this stuff and it's inedible. You don't like it. Now you made yourself into. Now it's a worse situation. You may have food that you, nobody likes. They're under psychological stress because of being in uh, a major disaster. They don't have food. Maybe now you have to go out and get food from some government assistance. You may not like that as a big nightmare, and it's going to cause psychological damage and stress in an already stressful situation. So this is what I recommend. You have to rotate your stock of food. Don't buy more than what uh, different things for an emergency that you're not used to eating all the time. 
Imagine going out and buying food that nobody in the house likes. Now you're in a disaster. You may not have access to food right away. Now you have to eat all this food that you don't like. What I recommend is just buy a little bit more each week. This is not... Now, if you have to go out in a major disaster, like with the lockdowns with COVID that we dealt with, and we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, you're, you, the food that you're normally used to may not be there. So you go out shopping, you get an extra one of these. You get an extra box of pasta. That'll last you a meal or two. Get an extra can of beans, if that's your thing. Get an, I'm hung up on beans. That's usually what we buy. Uh, an extra couple of things of tomato sauce. A couple of, you know, things of that nature. If you have frozen food, and you say, well, I have a freezer load of stuff. Well, guess what? Now you have to plan out because that's not going to be frozen forever. Forever. How are we going to power that freezer? Am I going to have a generator? Now you're going to say, well, I have a generator. Well, generators run on fuel. Is it going to be a home, a whole home generator run off of natural gas in the pipelines? The experts have told us maybe you get maybe one or two or maybe three days of reliable power, uh, reliable gas pressure and fuel in the natural gas lines. I wouldn't count on it. So now you're going to figure out what are you going to plan for. Let's say you do the category two up to 72 hours. You have to have enough fuel for your generator for 72 hours, which means that prior to the disaster, you have to get the generator that you have. I'm going to assume it's going to be a portable one and you're going to run uh, it under load and see how long it takes to burn whatever the fuel is. So let's say you have a generator, a small 1800 watt one, it has approximately two and a half gallon gas tank. You might be able to get, might be able, I use that word in air quotes, four hours out of that. So which means four hours, that means you're going to have to do, if you want to run it continuously, you're going to go through, I'm going to assume, uh, around 15 gallons of fuel a day. Well, where are you going to keep the fuel for that? Do you have to run it all the time? Maybe, maybe not. That's your food source. You may have to. So now you're at 15 gallons of fuel. After you're ready for three or four days, now you're dealing with 45 gallons of fuel, potentially, or more, of three days, maybe 60 gallons. That's a lot of fuel if you're dealing with gasoline. Propane, I don't have it figured out how much that is, but maybe one day I will. You have to plan that out days ahead of time. How are you going to do that? And again, Let's use Superstorm Sandy. That's my experience up in the Northeast. My friends down in Florida were laughing at us all of us, saying, ah, you don't have any fuel. Well, now we're in, uh, now uh, Superstorm Sandy for about four days. Uh, gas stations did not have uh, fuel available because they had no power. Now you have an issue. Now in New Jersey, New York area, gas stations are required to have background generators to deliver fuel. But how much fuel does a gas station have, especially in an emergency where people are hoarding? They're going to flood that station. I remember there were uh, lines around the block for people getting gas. Uh, one of my clients uh, hired me just to stand online and get fuel for their equipment. That's what it was. And okay, Jim, here's five gallons. They're giving out five gallons at a time. When you, when you fill that five gallons up, here's another five gallon thing and get, get back online. That's got to be you know, planned out ahead of time about how long do you want. Again, if it's middle of winter, you may not have to worry about freezers up here in the Northeast. Especially if it's for the brutal winter, you may be able, that may be work to your advantage in this situation with stuff in the freezer, stuff in the refrigerator. But then what do you have to worry about? You have to worry about security. You got to worry securing it. You got to worry about animals. You have to worry about all that other stuff. All this 
goes ahead. Uh, now, let's talk about special needs. Diabetic. Is anyone you're responsible for or are you diabetic? Guess what? You're not going to... Do you have enough... Uh, we won't talk about medicine this time, but will we... Do you have appropriate food for a diabetic to keep level? To, you know, so you don't go with high blood sugar or low blood sugar. The room, uh, Jodie Foster movie, uh, Panic Room. I think that was the name of the movie. Early 2000s to mid-2000s went into this with a diabetic, a type 1 diabetic child in an emergency situation in a panic room with terrorists and everything. Whatever it was, I forget. But anyway, went into this. Let's say that you have people with allergies. I know one family where every person in that family has a different allergy to food, has a different food allergy. Well, guess what? The mother cannot have raw food. The father cannot have filbert slash hazelnuts. And the children, I forget what they're allergic to. But now you have an situation. I think it's a peanut or nut allergy. Uh, now you have a situation. Uh, the survival food that you're buying, is it dangerous for them? I don't know. I have no idea. And now let's talk about time. You feel like a survival diet is roughly around 800 to 900 calories a day. All right, that's not a lot. No, your uh, sandwich, your hamburger from your average uh, three places is like 1,500 calories. So can you get by it on eight or 900 calories a day? If you're doing intermittent fasting, like I was doing, that's how much I was doing, it's not easy uh, with that low amount of calorie yield. Plus, you're in a disaster. You may need more calories because you're out there working. Again, all has to be worked out at a time. So... Three or four days, oh, you could probably have enough in your house to do that, all right, in there. Uh, okay, now let's talk about one month. Are you going to be able to have one month's worth of food in your house? Hmm. That's, that's an issue. That's a lot of room. Three, again, with the water that we previously discovered, big issue here. Now, let's talk about supermarkets. And even me, uh... A, uh, experienced prepper. I'm one of the preppers out there. I'm one of the 3% of the population. 5% that I've been involved with this. I wrote a book on this way back in the day on nuclear terrorism. I, I was shocked with the pandemic lockdowns. What's the first thing that went in the stores? At least here in lovely Clarkstown, New York. The meats went. I mean, dude, the only thing that was left was like blood sausage. And being, uh, of Eastern European ethnicity, specifically Polish and uh, German, both it turns out the 23andMe DNA thing, I'm not giving them a plug, identifies both sides of the family came from the same area of Poland, and my father uh, considered himself German, God rest his soul. Anyway, um, we had Kishka. We have Kishka. Well, guess what? All they have was blood sausage from England. I said, hey, that's Kishka. We'll go for it. I liked it. You think my wife and kids wanted to eat Kishka? Blood sausage? No, not really. Uh, again, what was the other thing? Was the uh, meat substitutes. And they're out there, right? They have all these uh, meat substitutes. Those went. On top of that, those are the last things to go. What's the next thing that went? As far as, yeah, I know toilet paper and, uh, yeah, great, paper bra. Okay, great. But you had pasta in all its forms. Gone. You had dried beans in all, its, in all their forms. Lentils, peas, gone. Dairy and milk, forget about it. Done. Orange juice and yogurt and all that. Yeah, all the dairy, pretty much shot. Done. Then you get into the comfort foods. Anything from chips to cookies and candy. Guess what? That's all gone. Okay, so I went in there and uh, I, I was like, okay, 
pancakes. And I just went just for the hell of it. I said, okay, let me go in. Let's see pancakes. Kids like pancakes. Everybody likes pancakes. My, uh, 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 you know, daughter is a big fan of chicken and waffles, right? Uh, that's a story for another day. Okay, I can make waffles. I can do this. Uh, I go in there, no pancake mix. I said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go old school. We have a thing called the internet, and I can look up how to make up waffle and pancake mix from scratch. So what do you generally need? You need all-purpose flour, or pick your flour of choice. You need baking powder, and you need uh, eggs. You can get eggs because dairy idle. Dairy idle, nothing. You need milk. Uh, now you got problems with milk. Well, they have the ready mix, you know, stuff. On there, uh, you know, just regular, right, uh, pancake mix and nothing there. These are the things that are a struggle, that are a struggle for any family out there. What are you going to eat that everyone's going to like, everyone's going to love? Because what happens is if you have food that doesn't, no one likes, you're all going to be hungry. And you're going to get, especially with some people out there, screaming and yelling about the food. Uh, our town... Uh, supplemented all the children who were on lockdown, if you had a school-aged child, with uh, food. Uh, no, it was, you know, so every day, or it turned out every week, you could go to a car line and they would give you basic food for children, right? For that, it would be like Rice Krispies or, or another cereal, and it had like a thing, a, a couple of cartons of milk, a couple of cartons of juice, things of that nature, because of the school, all part of the school lunch program. That's what happened also here uh, in Clarkstown. Now we talk about longer term, 30 days out, 40 days out. What I used to or often call primitive living. You start to have a food emergency more than 30 days out and you got a problem. Uh, hopefully by that time, the government or some other entity is going to be over there supplying food. And who knows what it's going to be? Who knows what the quality is? Who knows how it's going to taste? Everybody has the best intentions, but, you know, people may not like things. So now what do you do? If you're in a rural area or in a semi-rural area, maybe a suburban environment, you say, well, we're going to go and we're going to get seeds. What I uh, did many years ago was I got what was one of those uh, survival seed banks. And what it was, I just want to see what it was. It was hermetically sealed uh, seeds of all different vegetables that they put in a PVC pipe and they had one end of the pipe sealed and the other end of the pipe sealed. So what the, the idea was, was that you would take this, bury it or put it somewhere else uh, in a secure location and it would be preserved for however long the seeds are good for. I know one, uh, a bunch of archeologists in England, I think it was England, a number of years ago, got uh, found a whole boatload of seeds in some uh, tomb and they didn't know what they were, so they grew them. And guess what? The seeds grew after 800 years, and it was uh, food that uh, they had problems identifying because of all of the selective breeding in the last seven or 800 years. It didn't look the same. So gardening. How much uh, are you going to get out of a garden? Uh, I have a 10 by 20 garden. Uh, we get maybe a week's worth of vegetables out of it every year. If we're going to eat vegetables, maybe two weeks. Two weeks would probably be better if we're eating everything out of that garden every day, three meals a day. And you have to be selective on what you're going to plant. So don't think that you're going to get a survival seed bank and you're going to start, oh, we're going to go and it's going to be lovely and we're going to go and we're going to start doing stuff. That's not going to happen. What's going to happen is you have to learn to do gardening. Gardening is a skill and believe it or not, it's a somewhat perishable skill. You got to figure out 
What grows in your area? What are the appropriate crops, the food crops? Don't think that you're going to go and throw a bunch of beefsteak uh, tomatoes in your uh, garden, the seeds, and oh, guess what? In 60 days, we're going to have all these beefsteak uh, tomatoes. Well, guess what? There are certain zones that you have to consider. Too far north, too far south. Uh, uh, water, right? Again, where you're going to be watering these crops. Where are you going to get the water from? I think the rule of thumb was for a family of four for feed someone for a year, feed a family for for a year, you needed, back in the day, something like three quarters of an acre or an acre full of food, of gardening, right? Of a farm. And then on top of that, how do you preserve that food? Wildlife. I had to actually go out and I had to build a fortress. I mean, sides with fine mesh and roof because I had animals crawling all over this thing Going after those uh, zucchini. My wife's prized these zucchini plants. Guess what? That's something else you need to consider is all of this stuff. Bugs. Certain kind of bugs are destructive. Guess what? What kind of crops are you going to plant and everything else? And of course, what happens? What always happens? You write, you get everything there, and it's all grown and it's good. Now you have somebody coming around and stealing your food. That's, that can actually happen in a longer-term disaster. Spices. Coffee. Tea. Alcohol. If you listen to our February program on uh, with Imogene Salva, our show on concentration camps in the Soviet Union, certain things became a commodity. What became a commodity? Cigarettes. Alcohol. Well, today, what would it be? Cigarettes. Alcohol. Back then, same thing. Coffee. Sugar or other sweeteners, any spices you could imagine. Because you gotta make that survival food and you gotta start cooking, now you have to worry about spices. How many spices? Uh, do you want bland food? Again, psychologically, you gotta keep people fed. You gotta know there's some security with that. All that stuff goes into this. What spice, what kind of spices are you gonna have? How long do the spices last? No, uh, those are the, again, one of these staple items that went in, uh, uh, the supermarkets here during the lockdown were spices. You couldn't get sugar. You couldn't get salt even. You couldn't get any other sweeteners, artificial or uh, natural. Now let's get on to another alternative here. There is an alternative. Let's say you're in a suburban or rural area. Are there any surrounding farms, orchards, other places that grow food? Can you get to know the farmer, the farmer's family, uh, Anything like that, make a deal with the farmer rather than go to a supermarket, buy direct from the supplier, from the farm, farmer's markets, that sort of thing. Developing relationships, getting to know each other. You may be able to develop a relationship with a local farmer or a similar person and maybe go and buy your food direct, get your food direct. Maybe have a barter situation because everyone needs something. That's where I would probably go uh, uh, if I was if I had the wherewithal and the means so we had a local farmer. Get to know them. Pooling resources. This is another one. How do we? Can you pool resources with your neighborhood to for food supplies for what have you? Because you may if you have uh, people who you could trust in your neighborhood, this might make your job a little bit easier. Uh, with that, often uh, like with Superstorm Sandy, we actually had a very informal neighborhood watch going on because we knew that communications were down but one person had a radio one person that was me had actually had internet internet access through 
on my car with the uh, uh, internet in the car. Uh, but that's another thing we'll talk about is communication. But with food, pooling resources. That might be a way of uh, handling things. Fallback positions. Let's say you have a fallback position, you have a second home, you have a uh, relative far away. Uh, could you store food over there? Make a deal with that person? I don't know. What, it, what does it come down to? All this, of food and water. It's assessing what your situation is. Analyzing the situation and then acting appropriately. Just in planning out this stuff or thinking about it, you're going to be way ahead of everybody else in a disaster. And that, too, is another front in the safety war that we're always talking about fighting and winning here. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.